pass it over to you, Mike. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, okay. Uh, hi, everybody. My name's Mike. I'm alcoholic. And, um, well, hopefully I'll think of something to talk about today. I usually... Didn't ask for alcoholism, but I got it. And um, I started drinking. Uh, oh, when I was 16, I got a job in a car. So I had a lot more access to alcohol than I did before that. I did some drinking before that. Um, before I started drinking, I was anti-drinking. And before I started smoking, I was anti-smoking. And I was a good kid who knew the rules and figured that uh, good boys did the right thing. Um, but when I started drinking, I had to uh, adopt a new set of values because that wasn't allowed and I wanted to do it more. And um, I always uh, was so proud of how honest I was. I, I could not tell a lie and... Um, when I, you know, first, uh, got my first taste of alcohol when I was like 13 or 14, I started, uh, watering down the liquor cabinet, you know, taking some, taking some of everything that the folks had, pouring it in and mixing it in a mason jar and then pouring water back in the, the bottles and, um, you know, that's not, that's not real honest behavior. And it was awful, but uh, it wasn't the point, you know. Getting it in me was the point. Uh, my folks barely drank. They they were uh, they were people who had a liquor cabinet for case company came over. They they just really didn't have a taste for it. Um, at some point, I I think there just was too much water in there and and was too hard to do. I had gotten into everything I could get into. And it seems like I must have taken some kind of a break until I was 16. But once I was 16 and I got a job in a car, uh, I started drinking whenever I could. Although I would never do drugs until a guy offered me a joint. And then that's all I wanted to do was drink and smoke pot. <laughs> Um, I remember distinctly having the thought after I started smoking pot. I mean, like after the first time or two, I had the thought, boy, those idiots, they say that this stuff changes you and it doesn't change me at all. <laughs> and, you know, my grades went from straight A's nearly to uh, failing classes, dropping classes and um, pulling strings to uh, graduate graduate early I almost had to do another semester because I was screwing up so bad <clears throat> I uh I made a baby with a with a girl who who was willing and um got a job in construction I was supposed to go to college because everybody thought I was really smart but um, I just couldn't see how I could afford 
to get drunk and high enough and to put gas in the car and to have that freedom that I had with my my minimum wage job to do college. It sounded way too hard. And um, like I said, I got a girl pregnant and then we had a baby and we got married. Uh, and um, then, uh, then as I started approaching 21, I was really, really paranoid about getting busted for for grass. I was not a well-connected person, so I was always looking for it. And I decided to uh, try just drinking instead. And I thought that I probably wouldn't be able to do that because to me, pot meant the Beatles and it meant bongs and it meant roach clips and it meant long hair and uh it, it, i had a whole image around it but i found that it was easy to just drink instead I, I was surprised how easy it was as long as i was getting screwed up that's all i needed um my wife didn't drink and um I guess she probably didn't like the fact that I drank all the time. She was not a not a very uh, confrontational person. Anyway, uh, took to drinking like a fish takes to water, and uh, eventually my wife left. Well, actually, the police came and took her. Um, she had tried leaving me before and found how miserable that was, so she decided to try and have me killed, which, which the police caught her and uh, being the victim because my life had gotten all turned upside down. I had a couple of kids to watch and, you know, to, to raise by myself and a construction job and um, and I was hurting. I was lonely. I was working so hard, and I was drinking all the time. And and I was just trying to hang on to my sanity because I I felt so hard put upon. Um. Uh, but actually, you know, I couldn't help but but realize that if you're going to get divorced, uh, that's the way to do it because I was still able to keep my kids and I was still able to keep my money. So we were able to get by, uh, cause she had done it wrong. I was, uh, I was able to maintain my house and keep the car running, but, uh, I felt sorry for myself. I was just miserable. Sorry for myself. And um, occasionally when it got bad, I would go into my basement where I had a little room set up. And at first, the idea was to drink until I felt better. And then it became, that's not going to work. Drink until I didn't hurt. And then that wasn't working. So I was, it was drink until I passed out. And then maybe in the morning, it would be tolerable. So that's a state of mind I was in. Um, 
suicidal. I, I wanted to die so bad, but I did not want to do that to my kids. And I couldn't figure out how to, how to manage it. Um, how am I going to kill myself and not destroy their lives? Because who's going who's gonna to take care of them? What, their mom? Uh, you know? So, so I was just kind of hoping it would happen. You know, uh, it wouldn't be right to do it, but maybe it'll just happen to me. And I was kind of hoping for that. And um, then one day when I was 27, my kids were, I think, four and seven. I was reading them a story uh, before bed, and I had been drinking all day that day. I was reading them Lord of the Rings as a bedtime story, and uh, they weren't behaving. They weren't sitting still, and I was trying to read, and I got angry, and I couldn't get them to settle down, and I remember putting them to bed angry. Um, I was just angry, and drunk and angry, and the next morning I woke up, and I felt like a monster. Uh, remembering the night before how drunk I was, how helpless those little boys were, and how, you know, they were living in a house, just those two little kids and me. And, and, I, and I, I just felt awful for them. And I remember, and I, and I, I got flash of whole adult drinking life. I had told myself that drinking was good for me, that it made me feel better, and that there was no harm in what I was doing. And that morning, I looked like a drunk. I looked like a drunk that, um, how did I miss it? And I also thought uh, I wasn't fooling anybody else, that everybody else was watching this while I was oblivious to the fact that I, I had really turned into a pathetic human being and uh, and I started I had this idea that maybe I should go to Alcoholics Anonymous um, now I didn't think it was a great idea but it was the only idea I had and I felt like I was in a hurry because I knew two things for sure. I knew that I could not live like this anymore. I could not stand being the person I had turned into. And I knew that I couldn't stop drinking either. And um, I was just in a corner. I, I, there, there was nowhere that there was no good answer. And the only hope was to track down an AA meeting and and um, I called my little brother to babysit and I went to an AA meeting and the guys there um, they uh, they told me their stories and you know they asked if if anybody's first meeting and I said my name is Mike and I'm an alcoholic. And I, I just hardly choked it out, but it was an important moment, admitting that out loud in front of witnesses. Um, 
And, you know, they told me their stories. And I felt hope. I really felt hope. I felt like I was I might be okay after all. Because these guys they seem to have alcoholism, they seem to be happy, they seem to be sober. It seemed like it could work. And and the feeling I had, the fear I had that morning, I, I wasn't experiencing it in that meeting. I, I was feeling way better. Uh, after that meeting, a guy took me to half of another meeting. And then we went back to the place I went first. And I went to half of that. And then I excused myself because I figured I needed to get back to my kids. And I threw a uh, half a gallon of gin down the drain. I did not think I was going to need it anymore. And, uh, and the beer, I decided I would give that to my friend when I saw him next week. Cause that the seal wasn't open. You can't drive with an open seal. It's illegal. So the gin had to go down the drain, but alcohol I thought was precious stuff and should not be wasted. So I, I was going to bring it to a good home. Um, which I did. Uh, and I very, I don't know if it was the next day or the day after that, but I, I went to another meeting and then I went to another one and another one and another one. I kept going because I kept wanting to drink and I kept feeling better at the meetings. Regardless of how screwed up I felt all day, when I got to the meetings, it would get better. It would be, I'd be okay. And, and as I heard them tell their stories and I told mine, I would get these thoughts that turned out to be really, really common for alcoholics. These ideas that, you know, and I don't think I really have alcoholism. I don't think a drink will hurt me. Maybe I can drink and come here and I'll still feel better, you know, and I'll get to drink. I had a lot of thoughts that were thoughts that would have gotten me drunk had I not had somebody to talk them over with and and find out that those are alcoholic thoughts. That's why we're sitting in meetings hanging on to each other so hard. Because when people who have what I have try to stop drinking, the first thing we do is start drinking. And uh, But somehow together, we were able to break the cycle. You know, somehow by talking to each other, I could see what I had a little clearer. And... And I knew that it was stupid for anybody else in that room to drink. You know, it was obviously it would be stupid for any of them to drink. And I was sitting in there and, and somehow I, I was able to see myself that I could uh, probably be stupid for me to drink too. Because these guys had experience. They had tried drinking again, you know. They had picked it up again and they told me what happened. They told me how it went and. Um, but it, it, it only, it only kind of lasts for a little while. I, uh, uh, 
I, I likened it to filling my gas tank up. It didn't matter how full I made the tank. I was eventually going to have to go back to the gas station again. And that's how AA kind of works with me is I only get so much, you know, and then I have to go get some more. Um, I was just, uh, well, well, let me say that uh, at the very first AA meeting I went to, when it was finished, they all got up and they stood in a circle and they said the Lord's Prayer, which I knew because I had been a, a Catholic when I was a kid. And um, my first thought is, oh, oh, what is this? And my next thought is, oh, what the fuck, humor them. You know, if this is what they want to do, uh, I'll be polite. I'll be nice. And, and I kind of did approach the religiosity like that, that uh, there's no reason to be rude, especially when as time went on and I started telling these people, you know, I don't believe in God. I think he's like Santa Claus. I think that's all make-believe. And they told me, we don't care. <laughs> Just keep coming back. We're here about not drinking, not about that. So it was a good group of people. If it had been a bunch of uh, religious zealots, I don't know that I would be sober. But they were really good people who kept accepting me just the way I was um, and kept holding out hope that one day I would find God, you know, um, but I, you know, the, the more I look at the God idea, the more silly it looks to me. Um, but I did have to ask myself the question, why do they like that idea so much? And I don't know that I had a satisfactory answer. I don't think I still do. But they were, they were trying to do, they were doing stuff, even if they were doing it for the wrong reason, they were doing stuff based on this ideology they were doing introspection and meditation and reflection contemplation you know they were talking to themselves they were doing things that i could do even even though there's no really no god out there so i thought well i don't know what's what's important here so i better i better not throw out anything that i need you know because I kept wanting to drink, you know, time. I would stay sober and I, and I haven't had a drink since my first meeting, but I have almost drank a lot since my first meeting. Um, and it was, it was the people in AA that made it so I didn't have to. Um, I had, uh, I had terrible compulsions. I remember sitting in my bedroom where there's an analog clock with a second hand on it. And, and I couldn't stand it any longer. And I gave myself five minutes, five minutes before I got in the car and drove to town to get something to drink. And I watched that second hand go around for five minutes. I just stared at it and watched it go around and waited. And then when five minutes passed, I said five more and I waited and I watched the second hand go around again. And um, 
And then somebody knocked on the door or the phone rang and that train of thought got derailed. And I forgot that I needed to drink and uh, I didn't have to. So um, there was another time when I was in my house, I had been to a meeting, a noon meeting that day and um, I had gotten home. There I was home with my kids in my house and Oh, guess what? I need to go get some beer. So I start rounding up the kids, figure finding my keys, getting ready to go get some beer. I did not ask myself why I was out of beer, <laughs> which was weird because I was never out of beer. I wouldn't let that happen. And um, I was just going to get some. That's all, nothing more. And as I was getting the keys and the kids and stuff together. I asked, I had this memory that I was at a meeting earlier that day. And it was a real, real kind of quiet little thing. You were at a meeting today. What was that? And I started remembering that I was at the memory of my alcoholism came back. It was the scariest thing to me because, um, I, I didn't know at that moment. I didn't know. I had forgotten completely. Um, but I also didn't have any alcohol in the house. You know, it w I would have had to go get it and I had time to remember, which was important for me. Uh, that's why I like to not hang around it too close because it can happen so quick to me that if it's within reach, I might not remember in time, but if I have to go get it or I have to go find it, I might be able to remember before I get there. Um, anyway, you guys all know that stuff. You guys probably had the same story. Um, anyway, where are we at? Let's see. Well, I... Uh, I kept going to the meetings uh, when the kids were in school. That was best when um, when I had to bring them. Uh, they they tended to fight and make noise at the meetings, and and I was just on the edge of my seat, trying to make them behave at the meetings, get something out of the meeting, not disrupt it for everybody else. Uh, the, they did not like it. Uh, but I, I guess I was putting myself first. <laughs> I was like, I think I have to be here. You know, I, I really asked myself, am I, is it the right thing for me to be here? Because I'm disrupting this meeting when I come here. And I just couldn't see any other way of hanging on to my sobriety. Um, I, I started going out to eat and out to coffee with people after the meetings. I, I started to have a social life. It was wonderful. I had never had that. I, I was in mixed groups. I was in groups that some of the people in the group were women. That was cool. <laughs> you know, I, I was hardly ever in the same room with a woman and I like girls. I still do. Um, and I was able to socialize uh, with them and, and it, it didn't have to be a dating thing. You know, that was, that was new to me. I, I had no experience with that stuff. I went to conferences 
Uh, and I'd be in these hotels where there were all kinds of people came from all over to, to stay sober together and celebrate. And I would just feel wonderful at them and afterwards. Um, but I was, uh, I had found, I was frustrated because I knew that I, I can do math and I couldn't be the only alcohol, I couldn't be the only atheist out there with alcoholism. And I was sober, so you can stay sober and be an atheist. So there must be other atheists out there with alcoholism. How come they're never saying anything at the meetings? How come I can't find any of them? There must be out there. And I started to get the idea that they couldn't stand the religion. That there weren't anybody like me at these meetings because they couldn't stand the religion. And that started making me angry at the people at, you know, when they would bring religion up and, and I found that there were people, sober people out there on the internet that uh, were in Alcoholics Anonymous and they were sober and they go, yes, me too. You know, and how wonderful is it to run into somebody who says, yes, I got that too. I'm like that. And you feel like you're not the only person in the world anymore like you are. And that was just thrilling to me. I had to find you guys. And um, I think the first secular meeting I ever went to, I, I'm almost certain the first secular meeting I ever went to was one that I started with the only other atheist in the whole Rockford area that I knew of. I, I wasn't about to start it alone because my understanding is you don't do AA alone. It's a team effort. So I had to have a partner. And so we started a meeting. Um, and I really thought based on what people were saying at the meetings that there was going to be a lot of people out there who would just Thank goodness you guys are here. You know, we've been putting up with this religion for a long time. And it was and it's always just barely, barely hung on. Uh, but it's given meaning to my life. And then I found a I found a meeting that was about an hour and a half away from me. And I drove there after work. And I got there early and I found the room. And there was, uh, it was a room that was only part-time used by AA. So what you had to do, I found out, was get out tables and chairs. That's what the people at the facility said. You got to, you know, they, they put out chairs. So I put out tables and chairs and put about three long tables out and some chairs around the table. And then the second person came to the meeting, somebody who had been there before. And she goes, well, what's this? This is not enough. And I thought, all right, what do you mean it's not enough? That's great. There's going to be so many people that, you know, there's going to be more than 10 people here. And they showed up and I was elated. I was just elated um, to be at a meeting somebody else had started up and and hear people say, I don't like the 
chapter to the agnostics either, <laughs> you know, and things that things that I really hadn't had a place to to talk about it and and to commiserate about. And then COVID. COVID came and thankfully a, a guy had gotten sober at our group who who was young enough to know about Zoom, <laughs> to know technology. And then I found you guys. I found you guys. I found Raynham Essex. I found London. I found, I, I went to uh, South, South Africa, Australia, Thailand. I, it was, I was heaven. Because uh, there were, I, I got to see a lot of you guys and I got to feel really not so helpless and alone and um i am just delighted with uh with us you know with our with our secular meetings i am really still surprised that we're so small um one one thing i suspect is well let me back up uh many years Maybe ten years before, even fifteen years before, uh, before we started the secular meeting, a guy had a guy who came to the group I went to said that there was a rational recovery meeting in Rockford, and these guys were trying to do it without God, and he didn't like the meeting. He said it sucked, <laughs> but I perked up. I heard about this you know, godless AA meeting. And I was like, oh, I want that. But I also didn't want to lose what I had. I was scared to death that if I got it wrong, I'd end up drunk and all would be lost. So um, I I didn't work up the nerve and I didn't go. And I don't know what rational, you know, I don't know anything about rational recovery, except that somebody had said it once and, and put it down, you know, there's a bad thing. And I, I just didn't dare. Um, my sobriety was, was tenuous at times. And, um, well, I, I never know when a drink is going to seem like a good idea. It, I was at a wedding a week ago, and it was it was in my face. I wasn't craving it, but I was looking at it, and I was fighting it off. And I was at a baseball game last night, and and I was I was looking at it. You know, um, I, I really love the times when I am around alcohol and I don't even know I'm around alcohol, but that's not all the time. Sometimes I'm around it and it looks harmless and it looks fun and it looks good and it looks happy. And I think you guys have kept me from believing that lie, because for me, it was not fun or good or happy. But something about my disease tells me it is. And and it it's my own head talking to me. And it sounds like my friend. 
seems like it's on my side and it acts like it wants good things for me. Uh, and if I didn't have that going on, I, you know, I might not need all the help I have to have just to hang on to sobriety. Um, I, I'm glad most of the time that's not the case. But when I think about drinking, I tell about, I tell on it. I, I tell you guys, I say, guess what? I was thinking about drinking again. And, you know, I generally get, uh, I, yeah, I know I get that too, you know, um, but I'm afraid not to. I'm afraid if I don't tell you guys when I'm thinking about drinking, it's going to be my little secret. It's going to be, I don't need help. I'm bigger than that. I'm tougher than that. I'm smarter than that. I got it down now, you know? And I think that's a dangerous thought. Uh, I think that's where, I think that's where the idea of powerlessness is so helpful. Um, it reminds me that I don't get to be the boss. I don't get to be the strong guy who has it all under control. Just come to me. I have all the answers, guys. You know, that's that's not the attitude. I, I think that's going to keep me sober. I think acknowledging my weakness and and just putting up with the fact that I got to be dependent on others. You know, um, one of the best things I learned in Alcoholics Anonymous was the bad news. The bad news was that if I don't want to have alcoholism too bad for me, I got it anyway. And if I want it to go away too bad for me, it ain't gonna. And if I don't want to have help too bad for me, I got a choice between getting help or getting drunk. And I believe those things. I don't know them. Um, I can't know them unless I pick up a drink and find out. But you guys have picked up a lot of drinks for me. I mean, you have. You, you come in and you say, it's no fun out there. It still doesn't work. And it doesn't matter that I'm, you know, that I'm watching people at the baseball game drinking and having fun. That's not what's going to happen to me. I'm going to end up divorced and homeless, ashamed of myself, broke. <laughs> You know, it's not going to go good for me if I pick up a drink. And it, and once I pick that drink up, I very likely am not going to be able to stop. I don't have to pick one up right now. But if I pick one up right now, the next one ain't going to be my choice, I don't think. I think it'll be a, an urgent necessity. And I don't want to have to live under that. Um, I, I feel like I've talked long enough. Um. Uh, I've heard my story already, and I, I'd be interested to hear what you guys have to say. Thanks.